Hello friends, before we get started on this next amazing episode, I just wanted to give a short shout out to our team at Metal Cloak, the group that makes this podcast possible. From engineering to production, from marketing to sales, from accounting to HR, every member of the Metal Cloak family works diligently every day to bring some of the world's best products to the off-road enthusiast. Designed, engineered, proven, Metal Cloak. That is not just a clever cadence written by me, but a true statement of what we do every day and why we truly appreciate each and every one of you. If you are looking for something for your Jeep, Ram, Bronco, or Toyota, give us a try. We are here to help. And now, on to another amazing episode of The Modern Jeeper Show. The Modern Jeeper Show, the show about Jeeps, Jeeping, and Jeepers. Hello, Modern Jeepers, and welcome to episode number 16 of The Modern Jeeper Show, the show about Jeeps, Jeeping, and Jeepers. This week, while co-host Matson Brakey is away taking care of the West Coast Invitational Brewfest, Mr. Modern Jeeper myself, Corey Osborne, brings in entrepreneur, founder, and president of We Rock Events, Mr. Big Rich Klein. We discussed the first event that led to the growth and development of today's competitive rock crawling events, how the events have evolved, and what it takes to go racing. Rich talks about the different series of events, its crazy schedule, and Life on the Road, all while also publishing a top-notch print magazine. Find out what it means to break the script, what things you may have to give up in order to pursue your passions, and whether or not you should be wearing a helmet. Of course, we have another great tech tip of the week with items that you need to consider when thinking about venturing off pavement regarding the safety of your Jeep or rig. As always, we're extremely grateful to our partners, including Raceline Wheels, Warren Winches, Best Top, Milestar Tires, Rugged Radios, and of course, Metal Cloak. So sit back, relax with a cold one, and enjoy episode number 16 of the Modern Jeeper Show. Hello, Modern Jeepers. Welcome to episode number 16 of the Modern Jeeper Show, a show about Jeeps, Jeeping, and Jeepers. Today I've got a special guest with us. My co-host, uh, cohort partner in crime, uh, Mr. Metal Cloak Matson Brakey, is actually taking care of the West Coast Invitational Brew Fest uh, out in Miller Park, Sacramento. So if you happen to be out in Sacramento area this weekend on Saturday, he's having a craft brew festival. Pretty large event, pretty fun event. I'm kind of disappointed that I won't be there uh, for this event. But I just finished up 35 days on the road, and uh, over the next coming days and weeks, you'll see some uh, some stories on our on our website, on modernjeeper.com, and you might even see a story in a print magazine. And that brings me to my guest today, uh, a guy that uh, I have a ton of respect for. I consider him definitely family as part of the the jeeping industry. They've taken care of me for a number of years and and shown me a different side of a lot of of what we do. I have the the president and founder of We Rock Events uh, on the line, uh, Mr. Big Rich Klein. Welcome, Rich. Oh, 
thanks, Corey. Um, pleasure to be here with you, for sure. Um, we consider you family as well, even outside of the four-wheel drive industry. So, you know, just always know that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we we've tried to cross paths a, a couple of times at events this year, and I know we both kind of have so much going on. And and there's been this is of course our high season now for for events, and you've already knocked off. Uh, a number of races this year, but I thought we'd talk a little bit about, you know, what, what we rock is and, and how it even got started. Sure. Um, it's, it's a, it's a life of passion for me. We rock, uh, and the sport of rock crawling. We rock stands for the world extreme rock crawling championships. And it's, uh, actually it came about in 2005, but we, I got an earlier start than that. I started Cal Rocks um, in 2001. And prior to that, I was um, volunteering at events, at ARCA events, putting the American Rock Crawlers Association, putting, uh, helping with judging and getting staffers and that kind of stuff. I was the club president in Cedar City, Utah. And oh, wow. uh, we facilitated the... Uh, the change um, of the Three Peaks area from BLM to County Park. And the counties just run with that project and created just a beautiful area out there um, with gazebos and, and all sorts of different activities that can be done out there. Everything from RC planes and rock crawling to, uh, and racing to, to one-to-one, you know, full-size rock crawling and mountain biking and, they use it for their Utah winter or summer games um, gotcha. Gotcha. as an area for different venues. And it's uh, it's just a real good area. And uh, at one time, it was just an area where people would drive to and dump trash. And, uh, oh, boy. We used to rock crawl out there. And we got we contacted uh, Ranch Pratt, who was with ARCA, and got him to be interested in the site. And they came out and put on the event. We did a bunch of cleanups. And uh, we ended up getting the county to take it over as a park, which was really cool. But uh, from there, that was, we moved back to... And ahead. that was back in two, 2000, you said? 2001? No, that was back in like 98. Oh, wow. Okay. In 98. So 99, somewhere around in there. And then in 2000, I moved back to Northern California and uh, moved the family back. And we... Uh, I'd already made the decision once I got back to California... I was going to put on a rock crawling event in California. And we did that November, 2011, and it was called put up or shut up shootout. And it was at Lake Amador um, in Northern California in Amador County, just outside of Sacramento. And it was on a spillway to a reservoir there that's been used for drag boat racing and big fishing tournaments and concerts and stuff like that. And uh, while we were putting together this event, the uh, sheriff's of, uh, sheriff officer from Amador County called me and said, hey, you know, I want to know more about what's going on. You know, I want to come to this event. Can you tell me about it? So, you know, being a promoter, or at least a beginning promoter, I, you know, told him how great the event was going to be and how big it was going to be without ever knowing really what it was going to be. Um, <laughs> you know, I hadn't put on an event yet. But it was one of those things, you know, that, you know, if I want people to show up, I got to make it sound really, really cool. Sure, so I sure. did that. And on the Monday or the Friday morning at Tech, at 10 o'clock in the morning, the sheriff officers 
from Amador County showed up and served the property owner and myself um, a thing to, uh, to appear in court that at five o'clock on that Friday night for oh. um, they they served us with a cease and desist for oh, putting up, trying to put on this race or this front <laughs> box. Oh, and, boy. you know, I mean, I've already got teams on site. Right. Um, I got volunteers. I got food vendors. I got the toilets. I've got everything that, that's happening is it's already the ball's rolling. We got spectators there camping out. We got people that we know are on their way there. Um, you know, 42 competitors, all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, now what do we do? So the first thing I decided is I needed to find a lawyer. So I asked around uh, some of the volunteers, the people that were working with us, and somebody goes, hey, I got a, I got a lawyer. Let's see what he can do. So the lawyer said, yeah, he'd take it pro bono because he didn't particularly like the county, you know, some of the things that they'd done to some of his clients and stuff. So we, uh, we joined forces, and he brought in a civil engineer. The civil engineer, before showing up on site for a meeting, this was all happening before five o'clock on the same day. And this was, so was and, and, and your venue was literally in like a spillway. I mean, there was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was the spillway for when the, you know, whenever the, the lake overflowed, it would, you know, spill down into the river. Gotcha. Um, so we're, we're, we're scrambling around on um, the civil engineer shows up and he's read the county requirements for a mass gathering permit because they said I didn't have one. I asked the property owner if I needed anything like that. And he goes, nah, we have events here all the time and we're zoned recreational. So I, okay, fine, let's do this, not knowing any better. Sure. So uh, we, the engineer took a look at everything that we were doing and the county requirements and said, well, you're, you've outdone what the county requires you to do, except you don't have a permit from them. And I said, okay, well, let's go to court. So the county engineer, the lawyer, myself, and a couple of people walked into court at five o'clock. Now, this is while tech and registration is still going on on site. Oh, boy. So, so we go in, and uh, about an hour and a half later, we, uh, we had pounded them, the county, and the judge gave us permission to hold our event. But what we had to do is limit number of people to below what the mass gathering permit threshold was which was a thousand people so <laughs> knowing approximately how many people were on site already we had to close the door once we hit you know that, thousand that magic thousand number and if sure. people would leave we'd let more people in well that made a lot of a lot of people that had driven you know four or five hours to come watch a rock crawling event for the first time Sure. Yeah, the first time ever in Northern California, you know, pretty upset. So we had a lot of, after the event, we had a lot of people upset. The, the sheriff's department uh, tried to get us for $5,000 worth of overtime. That was not something I was we, we required to pay, but they were billing me. And so I fought them. They took us to court in front of the same judge. It took about three years for that judge to finally tell them, this needs to go away. And the prosecuting attorney, the county attorney goes, well, you know, we've been trying to negotiate this bill with Mr. Klein. Goes, no, you don't understand. This needs to go away. You need to not charge Mr. Klein. So I ended up paying $3,000 to do the $5,000 bill because at that point, you know, the lawyer was like, okay, this is going on and on and on. I, you know, got to right. recover some of my costs, which was fine. But in that three years, 
I swear, anybody with a with a Calrock sticker that drove through Amador County got a ticket for something. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> we were hearing all sorts of reports, and me and the kids got pulled over a couple of times, you know, with as we were traveling through the county. But, aye, aye, you know, aye. It, it I, was a lesson well learned in event promotions. Well, and you I'm know. surprised that after an experience like that, that you'd even want to continue to try and and do more of this and and for it to grow. Does does Calrock still exist? Calrock exists. Um, I when we turned it over into into We Rock, and uh, went from being regional to national and international, we. We decided that we shelved the name, and then a couple of guys, Curtis Harriman and Glenn Bonk, wanted to put on some events. So they called me up and asked me about things, and I said, "Here, why don't you just use the name Cow Rocks, and uh, you know, I won't charge you for it. You know, just use it, that kind of thing." And they uh, they put started putting on Cow Rock events, and then they had a falling out. So um, Glenn started Calneva Extreme, I think is what he called it. And Curtis stuck with Cal Rocks. Now they call it Cal Rocks Racing, and it's become more of his Ultra Four Racing team, the name. And they, I think they'd still do like one event a year or something to help fund that racing team. But uh, yeah, it's still around kind of, but not, not the same way. Gotcha. And I remember yeah. um, what, let's see, it was uh, XRRA. Was, were you involved in that as well? Well, my son and I, Mike and Jody Weaver, started the XRA, which was the Extreme Rock Racing Association. And their idea was to to put side-by-side rock racing on. And so they built courses. First event that they did was in Moab during Easter Jeep Safari. On We did a rock crawl the weekend before. They did a rock. They did the rock race the weekend after. And um, it was at Area BFE. And they uh, they asked us to, you know, kind of watch what they were doing and then give some suggestions. And so there was some suggestions that we gave that we thought would would help, um, you know, make their, their events a little smoother. But, you know, they kept doing the things that they wanted to do. And uh, eventually they, they quit um, putting on events just as most of the other rock crawling, in fact, all the other rock crawling promoters eventually quit. And... Uh, I don't know if it was just I was too stubborn or too stupid, but you know, I continued I continued to put on the rock crawls. I guess it was I really didn't want to go to work for somebody else. I, I never really enjoyed that. You know, in my early days, I, I was kind of an entrepreneur. I owned a couple of different businesses, everything from a photography studio to a woodcutting business to um, a landscape company and uh, had a shop for a while, repair shop. But I just, you know, I never, I never really found a niche, something that I really loved to do. And, uh, you know, so besides those things, I was working, you know, I'd work for other companies as well and make people lots of money and just figured, you know, one of these days I got to do, do something and find something. And I decided to turn rock crawling into, into a way of life um, and not so much a, a, a way to make a living unless you consider you're living how you live your life. And that's, uh, that's what I've tried to do is uh, not worry about how much money I make, hopefully make them enough money to keep the show rolling. But it's not about how many dollars 
I make, it's, it's how we get to live our life. You know, we get to live our life pretty, pretty outside, you know, continually, <laughs> you might say. Um, <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> and Shelly both have definitely yeah. been a champions in living a style and doing something that you're passionate about. And I think that's pretty rare. And, and over, you know, my, my limited involvement in the industry, uh, it's been interesting to see these number of different um, organizations try to put races together. And I think they're all, they all get kind of put up against that same initial side of, of politics or, or, you know, government in the way of enabling us to, to, to do something that is, is fairly, well, it's, it's obviously very safe, but it, it, it's a, it's a big draw for people to come out and be able to, whether they're competitors or whether they're spectators. And I, I mean, I, I commend you for following that passion and, and still maintaining that, no, we're going to do this even, even through all of the bad. I mean, I, I remember those years when not very many folks were going out and wanting to do anything competitive and there wasn't a lot of money. There still isn't a lot of money. Um, yeah. There's no money in it. It's all about it just like trophy truck racing or almost all forms of racing. Um, if you're in it for the money, you're in it for the wrong reason. Right. Um, most of the competitors are doing it because they want, they, they want a couple of things. One is they want that adrenaline rush. They want to be able to, to try to do something that they're, they may not think they can do um, overcoming those, those overcoming fears, overcoming, you know, just the, the, their built their own abilities or mindsets that have limited their abilities. And, uh, and the other thing is, is the camaraderie ship that, that as a group, um, the rock crawlers or the endurance racers, or, you know, even trail riders, you know, club people have, it's, you know, it's going out there and being with friends. And even though it's a competitive environment, it's still getting to hang out with, uh, with people you like for the most part, you know, one of the things that I say is that, is that, you know, we, we put on 20 events a year and it's like going to 20 family reunions. <laughs> Absolutely. Getting, yeah. But you get to hang out with people you want to hang out. Right. Family reunions, you know, you may not really want to hang out with them. <laughs> you know, <so>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. So, you know, that's, that's the way we live our life is, you know, just going out, meeting people, making connections. You know, one of the things that we feel is really important in our job is not so, you know, it, it, yeah, it's putting on the events and making sure that, that the event runs smoothly and that the spectators have fun and enjoy it and the competitors are enjoying themselves. Um, but it's also the people that we meet, learning about what those people do in their everyday lives and then helping them make connections in their everyday lives that that may benefit them down the road. So, you know, an example we have is uh, we have a friend that, that was working um, or had a rental house in Colorado Springs, and mm -hmm. they, they needed to find a property manager because their rental property, they were just having really bad luck with um, people that were renting it. They had really bad luck with, uh, with the property management and, and things getting taken care of on time and everything. And, and they were living in LA, so they really couldn't, you know, they couldn't check on the house all the time. Sure. Well, we just, from our racers, we knew that one of our, um, one of the racer wives actually was in property management. 
And so it was like, well, hey, why don't why don't we introduce them? Um, maybe you know that the relationship will work better for you know the homeowner in this situation, having somebody that that understands you know their lifestyles as well. And it it really was a good fit. So you know we uh, we make sure that we get to know who our people are, whether they're just the spectators that are there or even the, uh, you know, or, or for sure the, the drivers and spotters and their families and, you know, the people that come out and, and help them, you know, pit crews and that kind of stuff. We, we try to find out their backstory and more about what they do outside of the off-road because hopefully, you know, in the, in the future we can, we can tie people together. Well, and, and that's, that's a very good point. I mean, you really are in, more or less the people business. And it just so happens that we share common interests, but the reality of it is, is it, it is about relationships. And uh, it, it's one of the reasons that I got involved in the industry to start with is because the camaraderie and the good people that we meet at some of these events are, are the people that to this day are, are still very near and dear to me. I just have to travel all the way across the country sometimes to see them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I was, but so, you know, if, for like us, it's easier for us to go to them than them all to come to us. Sure. That makes sense. So what was your first Jeep? My first, my first Jeep actually was a, um, 46 CJ 2A. Oh, wow. Little flat fender with everything under its stock except for the motor and transmission. Now I'm not even sure about the transmission. It had a, a little all aluminum V8. It was a 215. So it's just like the 3.8. In fact, it's the, the old Buick Pontiac motor that uh, okay. that they made in the 60s that Rover ended up buying and it became the 3.8 um, in all the Rover motors. That was the, uh, that was the engine that I that we had in there. It was carbureted. It was a screaming little motor. And then I had a a milit a military CJ or CJ five, which is the M thirty eight A one, and uh, that had an odd fire V six Buick in it and a four speed M um, you know SM three sixty five, and uh, again stock axles and steering and on thirty ones when I first got it, and but it was a great little rig. You know, did the Rubicon in that all the time. And then I had a, a Dodge D50. That, oh, wow. I remember the D50. Really the, that was the first vehicle that I really tried to wheel. Back in the 80s, I had a landscape company, company in El Dorado County outside of Placerville, in the Placerville area. And I had an 86 Chevy one-ton on 40s. That I used to wheel into the Rubicon. In, in the 80s on 40s. Now that's, yeah, uh, yeah uh-huh. That was yeah. a big truck then. Yes, it was. Um, but the, uh, you know, it was more of a, a work truck, show truck, you know, showing off, you know, hey, you know, look at look at us, you know, we're landscape contractor type thing. You know, like most contractors do, they try to have a nice truck so they impress people. And, uh, you know, we did, we did pulls with it and we, we wheeled it and snow wheeled and everything. And, you know, generally just beat the hell out of it. Um, but tried to keep it looking, looking nice. And then, uh, you know, the D 50 and then the flat fender, and then the, the, uh, the M 3081. And now I'm a, a big fan of Cherokees, the XJ and more so because it fits our lifestyle. 
you know, we have to be able to get the Jeep out of the back of the semi truck and it's got to not only set up race courses, be basically a motorized wheelbarrow, but it also has to do recoveries at the rock crawls. It's got to be able to do, uh, take us into the grocery store. It's got to be able to take us to the laundromat because that's one thing about living life on the road. You got to know where the laundromats are. Yeah. La- um, laundromats are, are of great importance, no doubt. Yeah. I um, And I know your XJ, it's, it's quite a working vehicle. As a matter of fact, I believe there was a race recently uh, you were working recovery and, uh, uh, I believe it was Jesse Greenland that got stuck, and you may have um, broke something trying to pull her out. Yeah, I blew up an axle. I was being dumb, backing up a ledge with uh, the with the front tires at full lock in one direction, and had the ARB still on, and it blew up the uh, U joint on the driver's side and took out the ears on the axle and the sub shaft, but. Well, from from what I heard, that venue for your race there was quite the rock event, and it was it was a that was a dirt riot race, wasn't it? Yes, it was a dirt riot race. It was our first in the Central Series for this year, and it is it's at a place called Wolf Caves in Mason, Texas. In Mason, Texas, there's also Katempsi Rocks K2, and they're not very far apart. There's like one piece of private property in between them. But they're they're both extremely cool parks to wheel in. There there is a lot of rock um, out there, and the I would say on our five mile race course this last time there was probably three miles of it were just rock surfaces. Oh wow! Um, wow! You know, I mean, it was it wasn't like the hammers or even like the Rubicon, unless you were down in the bowl of the Rubicon. You know, there's a lot of just big granite cap, um, not tall necessarily, but there's these like freestanding boulders that just kind of roll around on this cap rock. And there's all sorts of crevices and ravines and and uh, it's it's some pretty cool stuff out there with the oak trees and mesquites and everything growing up in different areas. I've um, heard it's 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 definitely um, all that and a bag of chips. I. So we, we've been kind of focusing a little bit on the We Rock side, but Dirt Riot is a subset or explain to me, and you have a partner in the Dirt Riot series now, don't you? Or Yeah, we, uh, Dirt Riot is four-wheel drive endurance racing. So it's, uh, we decided looking at what, you know, when the XRA stopped functioning and there was all these people that had buggies that were used to going fast, you know, we tried to give them a venue to run in. We knew that they weren't used to running very long distances, you know, just a couple hundred yards. But we decided to put together endurance racing um, on a short course style, meaning anywhere from three to seven mile long loop race. And, uh, you know, Dave Cole at the time was doing KOH, uh, King of the Hammers. And we were we were looking to try to take some of those people that wanted to go race that race, but weren't really prepared for it and try to train them to be prepared for it. So we consider ourselves kind of a regionally based arm or a a place for people to learn how to race so that if they go to KOH or step up into the big pro classes of ultra four, that, that they they're prepared for it. Um, They're not just jumping in because they, they, you know, all of a sudden have a car that can go fast and then they get out there and realize there's a lot more than just putting on your helmet and buckling your seatbelts to go. <laughs> right, right. You know, there's I, so, a lot of teamwork involved. 
you have two. So are the classes different from We Rock and Dirt Riot or are, are those are the classes relatively the same? They are different. Um, the safety standards are are quite a bit uh, are are pretty much across the board the same or at least the generalities. The classes, um, we do offer pro and sportsman in both We Rock and Dirt Riot. The sportsman classes in We Rock are to help us grow rock crawling. The sport, sportsman classes in Dirt Riot are to help get guy, people started in the racing go fast side of it so that they can eventually move up into the pro classes of Ultra 4. Um, we still invite the you know, still have the pro classes at Dirt Riot because there's a lot of guys out there that, you know, have run um, Ultra 4 or KOH, but, you know, they're just, maybe they just can't keep up with the money game. Sure. Um, and, and, but just still want to have fun. And so we get a lot of the, the older 4,400 cars and 45s and 46s. Um, and then they, uh, you know, but they come out and have more fun than, than, you know, brutalizing themselves or their cars or their crews and family, um, you know, and they can come out and have fun for a, on a lot smaller budget. Right. You know, well, you know. I, I've been fortunate enough that you've invited me um, out to a, a number of your events and uh, I've, I've got to work recovery a couple times. And, and I, I got to tell our listeners that if you're interested in getting involved in any kind of, it's not necessarily, I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's for the, racer at heart it's it's more for you want to go have a really good time and you want to get involved and do something competitive Uh, i think that the dirt riot series and and the we rock events are they're just amazing and i mean i'm looking at i'm looking at your schedule this year you're uh, again you're all over as well you you're arizona you're california there's mason texas there's pennsylvania there's dayton tennessee um I don't even know how you can keep track of where you're supposed to be next. Your schedule's a lot like mine. Well, thank thank God my phone is smarter than me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm in that same boat. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, once I, once I can learn to use the the calendar in my phone, it made it a lot easier, but yeah, we, uh, we travel full time. Um, We, uh, every other month we try to take a week where we, don't travel so that we can put together the magazine and get it ready to be published each, each issue. But, uh, you know, that's designed into our schedule for the most part. And, uh, you know, typically it's, you know, while we're traveling from one spot to another, like right now we're sitting in a, at a house in Phoenix, some friends of ours. And, uh, so we get to use the pool and the hot tub, but we're also putting together the magazine. Um, which is for low magazine, which is our newest endeavor, but you did, let me, let me go back. We sure. did ask about, we have a partner in, in dirt, Riot. We do on the East coast years ago, when we first started dirt, Riot, We spread out East and just to see what the, you know, if there was much interest and there was some real good interest, but not enough for us to be able to, to keep the, the, the wheels on the cart, you might say, so we gave up putting on events in the East, at least with the Dirt Riot. We're still doing them with the We Rock. And then the uh, Nowers, uh, Rick and Angela and family, um, decided to step up and they wanted to put on some East Coast racing. They had judged for us and been out to some of our events. 
as volunteers. So we uh, were lending them a helping hand. They're they're running it under Dirt Riot Eastern Series is what they're calling it. And there's a North and East um, seven events this year that they're putting on, and they're they're growing rapidly. There was like 20 cars at the first event, and then the second event they had like 62 cars. Oh wow! So they they have opened it up to some two wheel drive classes. So they're get, grabbing the people out of the line mountain racing series that want to do something a little different. We've decided to do the same thing with our event in Sturgis, our dirt riot central series or mountain series. We do the first weekend in Sturgis of bike week out at uh, the Buffalo chip. And we've been called by um, some, pe- some people that race up there with uh, like some pro twos and some buggies that wanted to race. And we said, yeah, go ahead and bring them. So we're going to open up our, you know that at least that race venue uh, because that's a all sh- all truly short course even though it's five miles it's it's not a you know there's no big rock out croppings or anything like that that you have to have four-wheel drive so we're going to open up that venue up to uh, the two-wheel drive classes but yeah they uh we've got the partners there on the east and you know we're actually looking for partners in the central series the southwest and the mountain as well we believe that the growth of of dirt riot will fall more regionally and grow faster if there's a local promoter running those events like we have on the east coast because we're only able to offer like three in each one of those series Um, most of the people that race in those areas want to do more than three races so if they schedule our races and and they're racing with somebody else and there's a conflict they're going to go to the races that have that have more to more races to offer so we're looking at uh jeremy hammer um from flying high off road is going to be running the southwest series next year and he's helping me this year learn you know what to do at the races and you know how how the races function not from the racer standpoint because he's been racing with us for a few years but from the promoter standpoint on why we design the courses the way we do and the flow um, you know, why we set up the pits and hot pits the way we do, you know, everything that, that you need to know, um, he's learning this year so that he can run the Southwest series next year. So we're hoping to find somebody to do the mountain and the, uh, and the central series as well. And then we'll still do the nationals and that way we can move it around the country and bring everybody together for one big event. Gotcha. Well, and I'm not sure. So for our listeners out there that, so when when Rich and Shelley show up to one of their venues, this isn't something where fifty people jump out of multiple vehicles and go out and design this course. And Rich has like this whole team of people that spend days out there creating this this whole this whole site. Um, this is something that Rich does personally, and he has a few volunteers that you know help him out here and there. But I got to tell you, th- this is one of the hardest working men. I know. And I'm, I'm looking at now that I'm on the, on the actually the dirt riot.com page, looking at that schedule. And it's, it's crazy. I mean, between that and, and the we rock live.com website, all of your schedules are there. Anybody can go in and, and, and go take a look at where these events are. Hopefully there's one close to them and they can go check it out. It's, it's your, your next event is June 1st. Is that correct? Um, our next event is Vernal, Utah, and that'll be not this coming weekend, Thursday weekend, but the weekend after that. Oh, gotcha. And May 18th. A, I see it. 
Yeah, that's a dirt riot race. We're doing that one a little differently this year. We're we're teaming up with Bonneville Off Road Racing. Um, it's an organization out of Nevada and uh, Northern Utah that puts on races, desert races, and mostly two wheel drive classes. And we're teaming up with them for this race in Vernal. We're going to do an 18 mile race course, and the race oh. could possibly be up. There'll be two races for the slower cars and slower class, limited classes, and then a race for the unlimited and the faster cars. And so two separate races, 18 mile laps, um, and somewhere around 140 miles for each one of those. Oh, wow. It's it's going to be a little bit different. Bonneville is going to be taking care of marking the race course because they've used that 18 mile loop a number of times and they've got different routes that they can add in. And I've not used that. So Shelly and I, the dirt ride part of it, We'll be doing the uh, scoring and the timing of the race because um, we're set up with that all computerized and everything. Sure. So it works out real well. So the, the marriage of the two together should work out really well. And, uh, you know, we'll play to both of our strengths. So it's uh, an 18 mile loop. It. That is that is just um, that's crazy. I mean, that's that's awesome for the guys who, again, a break away from the short course type stuff a little yep. bit and yeah, what a, what a neat venue. And if, if for a spectator, I mean, I'm sure that as they come through, of course, the, the main pits area type thing, they'll be able to see the cars come through. It, it, will there be areas to view the race throughout that 18 mile loop? Uh, yes, there is. Um, from my understanding, they'll, there's a couple of road crossings that, that would be interesting for people to watch at. There's a couple of high vantage points where you get to see, you know, maybe three or four miles or five miles of racetrack from a from a distance, but at least you get a better overall view. The racing, as compared to the rock crawling, even though we try to make it as spectator friendly as we can, people still like to congregate into the slower, rockier areas. You see that, like at even King of the Hammers. Um, sure, you know, there's sure. There's very few people out watching the desert sections. You know, the dry lake beds where the guys are doing you know, a hundred miles an hour plus, but everybody hangs out in the rock sections, you know, or the, the technical areas. So, you know, we've got some technical areas that at um, Vernal that even though there's no rock, it's, you know, some nice washes and canyons that the guys have to, you know, be a little more careful. They just can't, you know, full throttle it and, uh, and expect to survive. So those are the areas that we have set aside for spectators viewing and, uh, they're all easy to get to and and the spectators, you know, as long as they don't wander onto the race course will be very safe. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, again, for our listeners, this is uh, Saturday, May 18th. Uh, this is in Vernal, Utah at the Buckskin Hills Motorsports area. And uh, these racers are so expensive to go to guys. This is 15 bucks for an adult children are $5. Like you can go out there and really experience what, what this uh, dirt riot thing is all about and and get involved be be a part of it it's it's what got me into being more involved in the industry is is just going and experiencing some of these these off-road events we all buy stuff for our jeeps and we want them to be more and more capable you want to see what all those parts add up to go out and watch a, a rock crawling race or a dirt riot race i think that that's it'll it'll be a lot clearer for people as they're they're building their own rigs to kind of go oh I get it. Yeah, everybody yeah. wants their car to, to perform like a race car, 
or a rock crawler, you know, right. a professionally built rock crawler, but not necessarily take it out there and abuse it, you know, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the technology that has come into the four wheel drive industry from rock crawling and racing these vehicles is pretty phenomenal, you know, especially the safety aspects when we, you know, when we first started putting on rock crawls, there was no safety, you know, there was, you know, a lap belt or, you know, the right. seat belt was legal, no window nets, no fire extinguishers, you know, no helmets, you know, all the things that we've added since then have, uh, have really made a remarkable dis- difference. Not was everybody, was everybody really you know, like, you know, liking the idea of having all these extra added safety requirements? No. Um, because everybody was used to just doing, you know, trail wheeling any way they wanted to. Right. And so that's an extension of the trail wheeling and everybody, you know, looking at each other, go, oh, I climbed that obstacle better than you did is what turned it into a sport. And, you know, we, the guys used to be able to push and hang on to or counterbalance a vehicle, you know, it's teetering on a ledge and you got some guy hanging off the roll cage. like it's a sailboat or something you know that it was pretty crazy at times some of the things that happened and you know we were really lucky that uh that we've had nobody die in competition like that but uh you know over the years we've instituted a lot of safety and it uh it's been worthwhile and there's still some teams that would rather not have window nets um sure you know but you know if an arm flops out in a rollover you're really happy that you have that window net, you know, you, you don't crush yourself. So I remember, you know, I think it was um, a video I saw, oh, it was a while back, but I think it was even, it might've been Carl Jantz back in the day. And it, and it, it was at a competition and literally everybody's wearing, it was in the seventies, I think. And people are wearing shorts and t-shirts and sandals, literally driving their Jeeps through this rock garden and it was a it was a points type of like a wee rock type of race, and it's just interesting to look back into those days where you know there wasn't people weren't wearing helmets; they were just out as a hey, let's go do this. It'll be fun. Um, and I think that the safety issues, yeah, that's going to play into to today's uh, tech tip for sure. I, I want to talk talk a little bit about the the magazine. So, for low magazine l o w magazine dot com is your this is your your new baby, really, in the last just few years. Yeah, we're uh, we're on issue twenty seven is the one that we're working on right now. But uh, we took the magazine over with issue seventeen and co-produced seventeen with the original owner, and then eighteen was all, all on us. We've owned the magazine. Um, it'll be two years this July, so we're getting close to a two year anniversary. We uh, we took the magazine. Um, and we've turned it into what we wanted to read or what, you know, basically what I wanted to read. I have, I've always had an interest in, in magazines. Magazines in the off-road world used to be all about building heroes, telling people stories, whether it was in a, a desert race or, you know, in the build of their vehicle or whatever. Uh, they always told a lot of stories. And what I noticed over the years is, you know, the magazines have changed. That's more about, you know, products and, you know, and there's nothing wrong with advertisers. It's just, you know, I think that it's that, that there needs to be a good balance between editorial and advertorial. And so 
we uh, we took the magazine. Um, we 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 believe we've raised the quality of the photography and the printing, and you know, doing it on a larger scale affords us to be able to do that. Um, our backgrounds lended well into this. My my degree, uh, my expertise when I got out of college was commercial photography and product advertising way before digital started. And oh, sure. We were, you know, I was a film photographer, worked in an ad agency in San Francisco and then had my own, uh, my own shop um, and studio up in the Sierra Nevada foothills. And, you know, it was, it was all about product and, and, you know, making sure that the photos, you know, displayed that product properly, that kind of thing. And Shelly's background, originally, she wanted to be a journalism major, realized that uh, that probably wasn't going to pay all the bills that, that come with a young family. So she changed majors and became, um, got her accounting degree and then a CPA. And then finally she retired. She was a chief financial officer for a fairly large company, $40 million company. And uh, she's still doing those same things for our company and our companies and a few others that that we help out, but she, uh, you know, that journalism background, um, she's an avid reader, um, a writer, she's got blogs and everything. So we, uh, we just put the two expertises that we had together to put together this magazine. And we found a great graphic artist, which was probably the biggest, the biggest hurdle that we had to have was to put together the magazine, the way we wanted it to appear. Um, you know, high quality printing and the photography, all that is on the back end, but it's got to be put together so that it's, you know, it's readable. It makes sense. It all flows together. And uh, our graphic artist and designer um, layout artist is, is absolutely great at that. We're really small. It's just Shelly and I. There's no, uh, there's no paid staff. Um, except for the, the, the graphic artist that puts everything together. But, uh, you know, there's, we get contribu contri contributions of photography and stories from basic amateurs, people that it's amazing to me how many people always wanted to write or be published in a magazine and never got the opportunity. And we've been able to do that. Um, for sure. For sure. You know, we, we've only had one or two articles or or contributors that I would call professionals, which is what, you know, it's what they do is write for magazines. Everybody else is, has been at that amateur level. And, you know, there's certain requirements that, that need to be made, um, you know, with the quality of the photography, but as long as they give us enough photography, you know, we can always find enough to, to put the story together, right there. We have a couple of uh, writers that we don't even have to really double check what they've written. And then there's others that write stories more like I do, where I get it done, I hand it to Shelly, and then she makes it make all sense. <laughs> and then she uh, makes it better. I get that. Yeah, she makes it better, you know. But that's her job as the editor. Um, my job as the publisher is just to get everybody excited about the magazine and, and uh, you know, to find those people that want to contribute and to find the cool stories out there. You know, right now we're, we're, we're fighting, um, trying to get reader rides done i can't do all the photography myself just too busy with the schedule um i don't have time to plan things out way in advance because uh, we never know where we're going to be you know, i mean i know where i'm going to be on a specific weekend but in between i have no idea 
Uh, sure. Typically we're traveling and never know, really know how we're going to travel or what, I mean, I know I'm going to get in the semi truck and travel, but you know, what roads we're going to take and that kind of thing. So sure. it's, uh, it's pretty hard to do that. So we rely on others um, as contributors to put those together. And uh, you know, there's, there's, we try to have reader rides that tell a story, have some kind of cool background, not just a combination of parts right. you know, that made the vehicle you know, fancy. It's more about, you know, the story and why the vehicle was built the way it was, why the, you know, why they're into wheeling, that kind of thing. So the vehicle is maybe the centerpiece, but it's the people and their lives that are the, the true, you know, meat and potatoes of it. Well, and I think that, um, again, for our listeners that haven't seen a copy or picked up a copy um, of the magazine, it is, it's one of those keeper uh, publications. It's not the the typical thin paper. Just kind of you know, look through it, grab some some content out of it, and and it goes into a stack. These are this is a pretty high quality um, magazine to for lack of a better word. And and you guys have done such a good job of covering that that real world lifestyle of. It's a magazine for the enthusiast. It's it's uh, I like the your um, one of your quotes on the page is off road is our passion live it with us and I think that says a lot about what Four Low Magazine is about. Yeah, very very well done. Yeah, it's it. Thank you. It's that was the the key to begin with. We knew we wanted to have um, you know a coffee table book basically, um, right. something that people would be proud of leaving on their coffee table. So that when their friends came over or family came over, there was something to read. Kind of like the old Arizona highways. Right. Or, you know, like in Overlanding, the Overland Journal. Or, you know, there's Rat Rod Magazine and, and Treads. Um, you know, those are, those are high quality, high class magazines. Um, and when I mean high class is it's not, you know, it's not hoity-toity and, you know, right, you right. figure out drinking a champagne. It's, sure. It's. It's just the quality of the product, the end product was really important to us. Um, it had to have the right paper. It had to have ink that uh, smelled right, um, you know, U.S. ink. Um, it had to be done by a printing company that, that was used to doing magazines like that. Um, you know, and we wanted something that, you know, we want to work with our advertisers need to be quality, if you know what I mean. Um you know, there's a lot of businesses out there that just, you know, they're in it for the dollar and, um, you know, we're, we're in it not for quantity, but quality. And we want to make sure our advertisers and partners in the magazine are the same way. Well, I think you've done a, a tremendous job. And again, that's at forlowmagazine.com. And I'll put links in our, in our notes from the episode. And I notice here, you can actually, you can subscribe to the printed magazine and if you choose, you can also uh, read it online through magster.com uh, with an online subscription. But um, for, our, for our listeners out there, if you're interested in, in a, again, a high-quality publication that has articles in it that are related to what you're interested in, uh, definitely check out Forlow Magazine. It's, it's, uh, it's worth it for sure. Yeah, I, I think so. And, uh, and thank you for saying so. You know, it's, it's been our goal from day one with it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and we got we got plans for the future, you know, with that and with some other businesses. You know, we 
we don't just do off-road. We have a couple of other businesses outside of the off-road industry. And uh, we actually have something new coming um, for people in our industry and people outside of our industry that we think is going to be pretty cool. Um, hopefully, it'll be released uh, sometime in August is our, is our goal. And uh, I you know, once we release it, I, I, I'm being, I'm beating around the bush, which I shouldn't do. I hate doing that. <laughs> That's okay. But, That's okay. But I can't give it, I can't give it all away yet until, until we, uh, we actually put the product out on the market. But if you, if anybody follows my, my Facebook page, they'll see me ask questions from time to time. I'm uh, doing little surveys and most people can figure out what I got cooking in the back of my head by the questions that I ask. But we, uh, you know, it's something that, that we think that our industry and other industries really will benefit from. And so, especially, you know, being automotive based and uh, it's uh, just another one of those things in the, you know, the whole game of life is, you know, getting to the end is a winner, meaning that, you know, you get to the end that you want. And Absolutely. So that's, you know, all of our businesses that we do contribute to that, you know, not just the off-road ones, but the the skincare product lines and the yoga wear. Now you won't ever see me in yoga wear, but. Um, you know. <laughs> well, that makes two of us. Um, I'm probably not going to, I will say though, that um, I did pick up some, some peppermint lip balm from, uh, from Shelly last time I saw her at, and that's the healing hippie.com. And uh, the stuff's fantastic. I mean, again, good products with, with the right people involved in them. Yeah. And, and then we have, if somebody doesn't want anything to do with, with hippie um we have a brother brand called trail naturals that uh, are basically the same products um base products the the, deo the natural deodorant and and the skincare product but uh it's a uh, design you know the marketing is designed more for the the active lifestyle you know that we all that we live in so you just you know, have so much going on i i um yeah, I, I don't know when you get to rest. Um, I, I'm I'm in that that mode of I I need to kind of catch up on so many different things and with you, everything you have in your schedule and all you're involved in. So how do people follow you? How do what what um, what social media outlets should we be looking for? Um, you can follow us on Instagram. Shelly is vagabond vagabond sixty three. And mine is just Rich C. Klein with underscores between the, the the letters, you know, Rich underscore C underscore Klein. And then we have Four Low Magazine um, site, and we have a We Rock Live or We Rock Events page on Instagram as well. We have, uh, of course, Facebook. The uh, We're both on Facebook um, as, well, as well as our, our uh, businesses. And uh, we're... We just, you know, it, it amazes me. I never, I never got it until sitting at SEMA one time and somebody that owns a company that I've known for years, but never really thought of it this way. He says, man, I just, I just loved seeing your trip to Australia and your trip to, to Japan and everything that you guys, you know, set aside to be able to do in the off season. And it was all, it's all related around off road, but it's, uh, I never realized that people actually followed what we did. You know, I posted things for our family, our kids, um, my parents, you know, that kind of thing. So they could keep up and see what we were doing and what we were, where we were at. But, you know, I never thought that other people 
would actually follow our lifestyle. Right. And we, it's amazing how many people do. Um, we hear it all the time. People I don't even know, um, but have that follow us on Facebook, I've never physically met, but they, you know, oh man, it was so cool watching you do this. And I was like, wow, you know, I never, I never thought about people actually, you know, watching. Going at, right, care, right, you know? right. And, uh, you know, so when we go someplace now, we try to tell a story um, while we're there or while we're traveling. Uh, we just got a chance to go to Hawaii over the winter in our off season. And um, I made sure that we included, uh, you know, some locals that were on the big island and it was a big island Jeep club. And they took us out wheeling a couple of times. And then we got the, one of the guys works at a legacy tree ranch or farm. And so we got to wheel out there in a pins gower and plant some legacy koa trees out on the island. And, nice. uh, you know, things like that. It was just a different experience that without the off-road businesses that we've, that we've created for our lifestyle, we would never have been able to enjoy. Um, you know, yeah, we'd have gotten out to the green sands beach, but we got out there in a different way than most people do. You know, we got to go out there with, you know, eight or nine other vehicles and, you know, packed full of people and, you know, picnicked on the way out there. And, you know, then on the way back, went out to, you know, see some beaches that nobody else got to see. Um, so it was, you know, it was kind of cool. Very you know, cool. It, it, yeah. It just, it's just something our lifestyle leads. Now the, our lifestyle is not for everyone. A everybody who says, you know, Oh, Hey, I want to, you know, God, you live the lifestyle I want to live. And I said, well, you know, you got to give up TV. And they go, <laughs> Oh no, I couldn't do that. You know, Oh, you got to give up, you know, your, uh, your favorite lounge chair that's sitting in your front room. Oh no, I can't, I couldn't do that. Right. You, know, you got right. to give up your bowling night on, you know, Oh no, I couldn't do that. But you know, there's, when we decided to do it, it was about function. And so we took, you know, we took everything that we own and it went, you know, we did garage sales. We basically emptied out the houses and, um, they're, they're rented out now. We, you know, we don't have a house that we go back to. We live in the Taj Mahaler and, uh, which is the name of our semi truck. And we, we, uh, we live in that thing now. It's like we're on our ninth year full time in 280 square feet. Oh, wow. So. I didn't realize it had been that long. And you and I were just talking about, um, yeah, the, the house definitely becomes this, this interesting thing. Um, you know, I, I think a couple of years ago, I was, when I was still doing some work for Jeep Jamboree USA and, and still working for Metal Cloak as well, I think I was 300 and, I don't know, 15 days in a hotel. And that's, that becomes, it, it's really difficult for people to really understand what that looks like. And I think that what you and Shelly have done, I mean, you have to eliminate some of that background weight that the, the house really does become noise. Even, even for me, as I, I, you know, I just got done with 35 days in hotels and I feel guilty almost that I, I need to come back. I need to, a house sitting empty isn't, isn't good for the house. It's almost like a vehicle. You have to drive them. And you have to live in a house, otherwise it just falls apart. And yeah, so I, I get home and literally I have probably three weeks of stuff to do around here to make it look like somebody still lives here. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I, I used to say, you know, be careful what you wish for. And, and 
when people ask me what, how do we get a job like doing what you do? I said, well, you have to give up everything. And then I always preface it, but it's not you have to give up everything. You just have to give up your comfort zone of what you're used to. You know, the experiences we've had on the road are mind numbing. I mean, it's, it's some of those things that you, you have to write it down. You have to keep track of these things because you lose track of them uh, year after year. And people ask me, you know, well, uh, my favorite question is, well, you remember me. I have that white Jeep. I met you in Daytona five years ago. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't keep all of that straight in my head anymore. Um, <laughs> it gets, it gets a little fuzzy, but again, I, I wouldn't give it up. And I, it's something that you really have to be passionate about and enjoy doing. And I, and I love the travel. I do love that side of it. So who knows, maybe, maybe not having this, this home in the background in the future is uh, something that will appeal to me. I don't know. Well, you guys, you know, and, and, and we've established our, our house, the Taj Mahal, our, our rolling house, as our home. Um, you know, we go visit people. Um, we're out at, you know, we're in their their area putting on a race or a rock crawl. And it's like, hey, come out and, you know, we have a spare bedroom. Well, you know, if I lived in a hotel, I would be all about that. But, right. You know, or lived in a pickup truck with a with a tent. Um, but, you know, we, we our house is comfortable for us. Um <laughs> It is, you know, a, a queen size pillow top bed. Um, you know, we have a full size bathroom that, uh, you know, the only thing we're missing is unlimited water supply. You know, sure. That's one thing that, you know, that Shelly miss, misses is having that, that nightly bath. Um, so, you know, we make sure that every once in a while we stay at somebody's house or they have a bathtub or, you know, we get a hotel room where there is a bathtub. And, you know, that, that part is, you know, she, she gets to relish that part of it. But there you go. for the most part, you know, it's, it's what it is, is she likes to call it unscripting your life. Scripted lives are, you know, what are, you know, your life is basically planned for you when you're born. You know, you're, you're raised by your parents who were raised by their parents who were raised by their parents. And it's basically, you know, you've been trained how to live your life, you know, go to work nine to five. Um, or have your own business where, you know, it's a brick and mortar and you're there every day for 14 hours a day. Um, you know, and you get to spend the weekends with your family or you do this or that, you know, it's all scripted. Um, it's breaking out of that mold and away from that script that, uh, is when I feel that we really started to live life. I have always been one of those that, you know, I didn't worry about security, what was going to happen when I was you know, 60 years old. Well, I'm 61 now, and I started to worry about it a little more. But you know, luckily I met Shelly, and she's been planning for us to when we when you know to hit that age and and what what our next steps are. But uh, you know, I've never really worried about it. But I always just went after and did whatever it is that I wanted to do. Um, and you know, so I I broke my script young. You know, my my dad, you know always was like you know god you need to have a job where you have security and you're you're building a retirement and i was like why you know the you know loyalty to a company to a to a company that has no loyalty to me doesn't make any sense right and you know i saw that writing on the wall in the in the 80s and 90s and just kind of 
tried to walk away from that that whole corporate mentality or working for you know the big big businesses and tried to do our own thing and it's it's really worked out in the long run you know we've uh we've made some some good investments we've got uh you know we got a little hotel down in Mason Texas and we've got a couple of houses that we rent out and uh you know we'll see what what happens in the future but you know when when I can't put on events any longer because my body just won't allow me to do it you know I hope that you know I've got I'm in a position where somebody takes over the event so we don't lose rock crawling and I think that that might happen you know if somebody you know nobody wants to see the sport go away um, right right or most people don't you know because it's it's just a it's a niche sport and it's small but it's still you know the people that do it are you know are just absolutely entrenched in it and uh, hopefully one somebody will step up and want to do that and uh, you know but the magazine and the hotel and some of the other businesses that we're building are are those you know exit strategies away from the core businesses which is we rock and dirt riot sure. um you know i don't really i've been telling everybody i got this time frame but you know i really don't um it depends on you know how my body holds up and you know, if, how my mind, you know, if my mind stays active enough, then, uh, you know, could continue to do this for, for a lot of years, but I've been doing it now 19 years. I'm not going to, you know, you do the math. I'm not going to do it another 19 years when I'm already 61. So, right. Well, I, I definitely think that, um, I mean, your events are what drives people being involved in the off-road racing scene um it, it there are no entry level i mean you you talked about dave and and koh and you know that that is that is not for the guy who wants to go try out his car in an off-road event that that there's what used to be the everyman challenge is you know now those are one hundred and fifty thousand dollar cars to start with that doesn't get you to the race um so again it's I think your events have been, they have become the, 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 the necessary side of the racing industry. And nobody wants to see those go away. So um, you just can't stop for a long time. Sorry. Yeah. I was told that um, way back in the day when, uh, when we became the only rock crawling organization still alive, I was told by Dustin Webster, who's, um, him and his wife were Red Bull divers. Um, sure. He was the first original um, Red Bull athlete, signature athlete in the United States. And he called me up and said, okay, Rich, you cannot retire now. You can't quit. Right. And I was like, man, don't put that on me. You know? And he goes, <laughs> no, think about all the businesses that have started up and have survived and are surviving because you're putting on events. They're, they're building cars. They're building parts. They're, you know, whatever right. it is that they're doing they're a necessary part of your business, but their, their business also, you know, is dependent upon you. And I'm Absolutely. like, man, that's a lot of weight to put on somebody's shoulders. Don't do that. <laughs> For <laughs> sure. For sure. Well, I think um, we, we've kind of come to, well, we've been, yeah, a little over an hour. We've been just chatting away. Um, we've kind of come down to our, it, I know time flies. We, we, I'd like to talk a little bit about our tech tip of the week. And uh, since you're so heavily involved in the, in the racing environment, um, I thought it would be appropriate if we kind of just, I don't know, touched on vehicle safety and, and kind of what you see, what, 
what do you think when, when somebody's building their Jeep, the, the average modern Jeeper and they open up their, you know, their retail catalog and they see the, all those things that they just have to buy. Where, where does your list start? My list starts with, with tools. And I'm not, and I don't mean like a, a shovel, um, although those can be handy um, or a set of wrenches or pliers. It's tools that make your vehicle more capable. Um, and safety is a big part of that. You know, there's the, the saying, you know, lockers before light bars. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. right. You know, yeah. I mean, if, if you ever plan to go off pavement, you should have a winch. You know, you should have lockers, um, whether they're selectable lockers or they're, they're full-time lockers. Um, you, it's, it's just a tool to make your vehicle more capable and getting, getting to and from somewhere. Plus, you never know when you need them for a rescue mission. Um, I was driving down the interstate in Sacramento um, on 50, and a horse trailer turned over and was blocking three lanes of traffic. Luckily, the horses were okay. We got the horses out. But before tow trucks got there and there was only one highway patrolman that had shown up, and I was in the process, we winched that trailer back over. Um, nice. Luckily, you know, the, 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 the vehicle, it, it didn't damage the vehicle enough or the trailer enough to where they couldn't continue. Um, how that all happened, I don't know. I got there, you know, and the dust was still in the air. Um, but, you know, we got the horses loaded back up and we, you know, the people were on their way. You know, it was uh, just things like that. If I hadn't had a winch, you know, there was nobody else that, that was there stuck in traffic that had a winch, you know. So it was nice to be able to, you know, strap to another truck, make sure I could winch that trailer over, get it uprighted, get the highway cleared before tow trucks even got there. You know, it, that kind of thing. Being out in the in the snow or the sand or the mud on a, on a road or a trail and uh, all of a sudden, you know, you're stuck. You know, you, you're just, you know, you, you buried, it, buried it in whatever surface you're you're in sure it's nice to be able to go okay now hit a locker right turn one on okay now turn the second one on okay i'm still stuck okay break out the winch you know if you don't have a winch have you know some kind of uh attraction aid you know they have all these uh these different things now that you know mat tracks and everything max tracks that where you can you know I've used mine um, in the sand to help others, but I've used mine when I've gotten stuck in the snow. Just sure, yeah, throw that. The tires and getting back up on top. You bet. You know, it's uh, it's having those kind of items. Um, as far as true safety goes, we started. We've seen a lot of people over the years, you know, following social media and on the internet and websites, you know, like Pirate Four by Four and I Hate Mud and some of the others where. You know, people have died unnecessarily from a basic rollover or right. turning their vehicle around in their yard. Um, <laughs> right, right. You know, and, you know, ha- su- suffering death or permanent, you know, brain damage. Um, we started a, a thing called Live With It. And it was, it was, and it's, we still have it. It's a, it's a basically a PSA and it's, you know, perfect public safe uh, service announcement, helmets and harnesses. You know, you get into your vehicle um, where, you know, buckle up. 
you know, use your seatbelt. If you have harnesses, put them on, not just the waist, the lap belt, but if you have shoulder harnesses, put them on. Even, even loose is better than not at all. You know, if you're, if you're crawling and you're loading and unloading your rig on a trailer or you're out on the Rubicon or Fordyce or, you know, some trail back east or in the Midwest, make sure that you're wearing a helmet. If you have a roll cage in your vehicle, which I recommend everybody do, um, and not just a factory sport cage. There's a reason it's called a sport cage. Right. Um, you know, it's it's not there necessarily to protect you. Um, it's there for added protection, but it's not necessarily going to do its job like a true roll cage will. You know, have that cage in there. If you have that cage in there, there's more for your head to bounce off of. So wear a helmet. It doesn't have to be a full-blown race helmet. It can be just a hard shell helmet, you know, a bicycle helmet, a, a axial off-road axle off-road makes a really nice lightweight helmet that's a hard shell and padded on the inside you, um, you know rock climber uh, skater helmets you know any of those helmets will save lives if they're used yeah and, protect uh, your protect your noggin i'm i'm always amazed that how many times accidents happen and they're they're literally ridiculous and um, with in vehicles that have appropriate safety gear, but somebody's not paying attention. I, I think it's odd that we still have to remind people to use a seatbelt. Oh, but I'm just going to, you know, run down here a couple hundred yards. And so I, I didn't need to buckle up. Well, that's usually when something bad happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we've had racers that, that are testing a vehicle in their backyard to roll over and end up with, you know, with, a cracked skull and stitches and luckily they didn't die. Um, right. You know, we've had people loading their vehicle on their trailer and a throttle stick. And all of a sudden they've taken their buggy through the back of their truck and through the cab of their truck and off the other side. And, you know, they've cracked their skull and laid in their driveway for hours until somebody showed up. Right. You know, there's, there's so many things that have happened and had the people been wearing, you know, harnesses or a helmet, it wouldn't have. I'm never have really happened. worried about the the guys that are competing in the competition side of the sport when they're at the competitions because they're wearing their helmets. They know they right. have to. they're wearing fire suits. They're they're wearing their harnesses. It's it's those same people, and all of us emulate those same people when we go out on the trail. You know, if uh, if a guy that's won, you know, king of the hammers or say our national championship in rock crawling is on the trail and he's not wearing harnesses and they're available or at least his seat belt and, and shoulder, you know, the shoulder, you know, the three point, then, you know, what does that tell everybody else? Right. You know, um, we're seeing more and more and more people putting on a helmet when they're, when they're wheeling. And we want people to make that pledge to their family especially, you know, that, hey, I'm going to come home safe, so I'm going to wear my harnesses and I'm going to put on a helmet. Amazing. Something so, we we just take things for granted until something bad goes wrong or bad yep. happens. And then uh, then we go, oh, well, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And that's always usually too late. It, uh, it's always too late. Always too late. Well, good, good advice. Things to keep in mind. Rich, I really, Really appreciate your time and and look forward to seeing you at, at one of your events coming up here soon. I know our schedules are kind of all over the board and uh, yeah. 
Yep. Hopefully our, our listeners are, are paying attention and, and they go to a couple of the websites that we mentioned. And again, I'll put those links in the notes and uh, yeah, they need to get out. They need to come visit you. They need to come tell you that uh, what you're doing is awesome and uh, just to keep on doing it. Appreciate that. And uh, thank you for having us out here and you've been a great friend and uh, will always continue to be part of our family just so that you well, know that. I appreciate that. And you tell, uh, tell your lovely Shelly that uh, I said, hello, as always, our, our listeners can find us at modernjeeper.com, modernjeeperadventures.com, modernjeeperforum.com. And uh, we'll, we'll get these uh, notes up and uh, get the podcast out there and um, we'll hopefully see you on the rocks. This podcast will self-destruct in five, four, Three, two, one.